Thanks for pressing play. Welcome to this very special episode of Follow Your Different. You see, today we go deep into one of the most anticipated and talked about startups in Silicon Valley today. The company is called Halo App. And the company is launching right now. So as the company launches, just on the eve of the company launch, I sat down over a glass of whiskey with the founders of Halo App, Niraj Arora and Michael Donahue. And this is their first ever podcast. And um, Niraj and Michael tell me it's going to be their last one for quite some time. You see, even though their company is launching right now, Niraj and Michael have chosen not to put out press releases or even talk to the media. So this is uh, their first public appearance, and uh, they tell me we'll be there only for a while other than communicating directly themselves on Twitter and social media. Now, here's the fascinating thing about uh, Michael and Niraj. Uh, They were two of the senior guys who helped to build WhatsApp. And as you probably know, WhatsApp is the category-defining company in the messaging category. And Facebook purchased WhatsApp in 2014 for $22 billion, making it one of the largest tech acquisitions of all time and Facebook's largest acquisition ever. Today, there are about 2.5 billion WhatsApp users, and clearly WhatsApp dominates the messaging category and is one of the most downloaded apps in history. So now, after selling the company to Facebook, they're back. And they're pioneering a new category of application that they call real relationship apps based on a new model of communication that is a very unique and different combination of messaging and social functionality in a completely new, simple and private way. And uh, their goal is to become the way that real friends, family and colleagues connect and share things digitally. And the company's business model stands in stark contrast to the advertising model employed by most major platforms. You see, Halo App does not plan to monetize users. Over time, they're going to charge users a small fee and never, they've committed to never having any advertising. And they don't capture users' data, and so they can't mine it for profit. These guys have the audacity to think that they can change the future again, having built one of the most uh, impressive platforms in the history of uh, kind of this new era of technology we're living in. And they think they can do it by being radically different than the major social and messaging platforms that are out there. Now, as you can tell, I have tremendous affection for these guys because I've loved getting to know Michael and Naraj over the last handful of months because I'm proud to say I've been working with them on the creation of this company and category. So another reason this is unique is what you're about to hear is an unusually candid and dare I say intimate conversation between three friends, three buddies. And, um, and because Michael and Naraj are pretty introverted and they don't really want to talk to the media. Uh, it's a pretty special thing to have them open up in this way. Pay special attention to uh, their ideas on privacy and company building and scaling. They're very different from most of what you hear about uh, in Silicon Valley and frankly, the entrepreneurial world. Uh, this is Christopher Lockett, Follow Your Different. And Podcast Magazine says we are, quote, the best business podcast. 
And some podcast reviewers call us, quote, overrated and, quote, not worth it. Well, no matter what you call us, our uh, listeners have made us the number one real dialogue podcast for business people who love real, different conversations. My friends at NetSuite from Oracle are the world's number one cloud business system. Check out netsuite.com slash different today and get your free product tour. That's netsuite.com slash different. And my friends at Splunk are the leaders in data to everything. Visit splunk.com slash D, the number two, the letter E. That's splunk.com slash D2E. And my friends at Malibu Milk are the leaders in the new organic flax milk, 100% plant-based organic flax milk. Check out Malibu Milk with a Y.com. And um, if you're not reading Category Pirates, I urge you to check it out. It's sort of like um, Harvard Business Review. If Harvard Business Review was written for and by pirates, visit lockhead.com today and subscribe to Category Pirates. Now, hey-ho, let's go. I have a million questions for you guys, but um, uh, WhatsApp was one of the greatest startups in tech history. And yet it was so stealthy. (laughs) Even to this day, I think a lot of people don't really know much about the company, right? Yep. And so uh, uh, I I know you guys are big talkers. (laughs) But, uh, you know, is there anything about WhatsApp that um, you can and would like to tell me (laughs) that most people don't know? I can tell you the story of why... We never wanted to talk to the press. That's a great story. I'd love to hear that. I think Ian has a very, um, he has almost has a quote which says, um, press kicks up dust that gets into your eyes and makes you not focus on the product or, or your company. So I think that was the core of it pretty much, that he, he wanted everybody to just uh, focus on what we wanted to build and on the users and not, think about anything else and press and media and all the other things make you think a lot of other things, which, which is not about the user. I, say, I remember the first time he, he said that was, I distinctly remember it being at the dim sum restaurant on, in Mountain View. And uh, I think one of our other employees, like pe- people used to ask him a lot when they had a chance to talk to him, like, why don't we talk about our user numbers more? Cause like, even, even the employees like wanted to, you know, people want to get out there and say, Hey, I'm at this great company. It's doing really well. And I think there was some frustration that we couldn't do that because the, you know, the word from the top was, Hey, we're keeping this quiet. Don't talk about it. Um, and it was just hard because we knew we were much bigger than all these other social platforms that were getting a bunch of coverage in the tech press. And I think Jan was just like, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, like the tech press doesn't matter. Like we've got all these users, none of them are reading the tech press. So like, why do you care whether like TechCrunch covers us? Right. So like, and then the, the dust and, you know, it's like, when you create this attention, then suddenly you get all this other distraction going on and then you can't focus on building the product the, the way you want it to be. It's so fascinating. It's like WhatsApp never came out of stealth mode. <laughs> I think it finally did in a very unorthodox way of Jan getting on the stage for the first time. I think it was 2012 or 13, like three, four years after starting WhatsApp. And he just got, got on the stage and said, we are bigger than Twitter. And he left it there. That's it. So 
he didn't talk about numbers he didn't say anything else and yeah that that created some buzz and people took some notice of the company and so uh here you sit you've created this new company and this new this new app and uh what do you think about talking to the press now <laughs> i think it's the same thing uh it's it's actually a lot of things that we do here is it it's inspired by uh how we how we built whatsapp and and the culture of it and uh the values of just focusing on on the product and the users right so yes i think uh are going to follow the similar strategy of focusing on the users and the product so nothing else matters to us and the interesting thing about this today is of course uh, and i'm sure you guys have read the same things that i've read that younger people the number one thing they want is to be famous and uh, a lot of people want to be entrepreneurs so that they can be famous they want to be on the cover of magazines they want to have massive social followings and this and that and so you know you hear about rich and famous all the time and there's a lot of people now who can get famous as you well know on social media without really getting rich and so you guys are kind of flying in the face of what a lot of entrepreneurs who are walking around talking into their cell phones <laughs> posting shit on TikTok and Instagram are doing to me i almost dislike this word entrepreneur too much i think everybody thinks they they're doing it because they want to be an entrepreneur i think everybody like if you're solving a problem you're doing something important that's it right that's that's the whole thing you should care about right that word and all the things attached to it and i i don't think that's the the reason why you should be solving a problem or or creating a company or building a product right so people forget in all that glitz of being an entrepreneur or all the other things that come come with it that why are why are they actually doing it to to start with right um so so i think that that's why i don't like the word too much somehow end of the day you're just building something that users want if they don't want it you fail if they want it you succeed uh and i think the valley has a little bit of is gone overboard i think in terms of that culture because they've seen so many of these you know successes but nobody thinks about all the failures and you know all the other things that got went into people creating iconic products and companies right so yeah i think the culture of fantasizing being an entrepreneur and all the fame that comes with it is probably the last worst reason you should be starting a company i think to me and that's 180 degrees different than what a lot of these uh entrepreneurial gurus and hustle porn stars and all this stuff uh you know you should be putting out 200 pieces of content a day and, and never stop promoting and hustle 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 and all that stupidity it's it's the you're saying the exact opposite of that i mean for me it partly on the engineering side it's just a sense of doing something well like i, I don't know i think for engineers it's less about being promoting yourself in many cases so if i feel like we've designed something that works really well and is really efficient and preserves user privacy i'm like yeah this is a great system and i'm proud of what we've put together um versus you know getting out there and like promoting yourself about what you're doing so so uh n- not not so much on the uh posing for magazine covers and shit <laughs> i think the product should speak for itself that's it like if 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 you do a good job of it if you create user loyalty and trust you don't have to talk about anything about yourself or 
at all like why why do you need it right what what does it get you in the end you should ask yourself that question why am i doing this and the answer is i'm not getting to build a better product and more users which is the case then then why would i do it well i think a lot of people think the pr and the promotion is going to translate into more customers more users yeah in some cases it does i think it doesn't probably apply to our product and the space that we operate in in which i think the best way to grow is to create an amazing product that people love to tell their friends and family about and get them on board right i can talk all i want and tell tell them everybody how how good this thing is but end of the day if the user is not going to get any value out of it uh, they're going to forget about what what you told them a few days or weeks back and they're not going to stick to the product which end of the day is going to mean the the company's not going to work right so it'll give you a little bit of like that a kick of like people talking about you and you talking about the product but it's so short lived um that it's almost i think not useful it's actually it hurts you i think uh fast growth and fast degrowth is like the worst thing you can do for your product and your company you would rather take a path of growing in a very um thoughtful way and growing slowly and building a product that lasts forever Uh, you don't have to get a million users day one i think that's not what, we, what we're doing this for so maybe let's go there this has been one of the most curious things about you guys since i met you which is the plan is not to try to get to 10 million users in 20 seconds or less and it's sort of uh with no disrespect intended but it's the opposite of the reed hoffman and is it hoffman the the LinkedIn guy? Yes. Yeah, well, I'm blank. I was uh, confusing him with Reed Hastings. Reed Hoffman and his podcast, you know, Masters of Scale and get big fast if you're not at it. And so here you guys sit. You guys built uh an application that has today what? How many how many WhatsApp users today? 2 billion probably? Something like that. Yeah, I thought they were above 2 billion. Yeah. And how big was it when you sold it to uh your friends at Facebook? That was around 300, 400, 400 something. So, independent of Facebook, you built a 400 million user legit user business and no big tada either. And so now here you sit having built one of the greatest digital uh categories and companies out there and you're saying you want to grow slow. That's what you just said to me? Yeah, I think it just let's you do serve your users really well if you have a controlled growth i think if you get massive spikes it it kind of gives you that high instant high of like oh i have a lot of users but if the experience suffers or if the product doesn't work well or if you're not able to uh explain uh to the users why this matters i think none of that will last right so we would rather build something that grows slowly and then faster and then faster and more faster and keeps on going and lasts forever than to build something which gives you massive set of users day one and then nobody sticks around right so yeah they turn off and i mean one of the things that whatsapp one of the metrics that whatsapp hasn't really been that public about is like their incredible ratio of daily to monthly active users which is extraordinarily high because it's all been organic growth so i think when you have organic growth like that users are using it because they like it Um, whereas i mean you can use marketing to drive growth and that that also works but you're going to have a much lower like daily to monthly ratio because you're getting you're getting people who are not sticking around as much well interesting of late of course is clubhouse as an example 
right? They everybody got all frothed up and jump on Clubhouse, and it's the thing, and it's the thing, and then uh, whoop, it's not the thing anymore. And now it's it's suffering a lot of negative press because apparently its numbers are coming down, and it's sort of so. A they had this explosive growth, or at least they seem to have. They had an explosive amount of PR. And now it seems to be backfiring on them. Is that the kind of thing you're trying to avoid? Is that sort of help me in context, put put that into context with your thinking? I think independent of anybody else, what they did. But yeah, it's, it's I, I wouldn't want us to go through that massive set of attention and users and, um, you know, a lot of interest. And then a few months later, uh, you're struggling to, you know, sustain and, keep your users and, um, you know, trying to figure out like what is next for you. Right. So, so I, I wouldn't want to be in that in situation at all for myself, like for the company that we're building. Yeah. I haven't been following Clubhouse recently. I guess that's part of the, what you're referring to, but yeah, I'm not sure what changed. like it went through the, the hype cycle and then it, it stopped and I, I don't really know what caused the change. So that's sort of my sense is people realize it was a dumb idea. You know, the beauty of what they did from a category design perspective is they called themselves a new social audio network, right? When, which is great category design, great languaging. But when people realized what it was, which is a webinar hosting platform that brings back appointment viewing, um, everybody went, this, this makes no sense. So th- that's my guess as to what happens. But my point in bringing them up was much more, they had a massive amount of hype and it looked like massive amount of user growth. And then it looks like fairly recently the balloon has burst. And it feels like to me that you, you, you guys uh, are trying to be the exact opposite of that. kind. And I don't mean any ill intent towards them or anything like that, but that you guys are trying to be the exact opposite of uh, get big fast, get lots of attention, et cetera, et cetera. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a fair but, analysis of what we're doing. So, yeah. But nothing against Clubhouse. I, I have friends there and everybody they own. Yeah. Look, I appreciate what they did to innovate. I, 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 I'm not a fan as a user, but that's neither here nor there. But the interesting thing is how much of a stark contrast your mindset is about this. I think it also, in my opinion, flows through to the product because the interesting to me thing to me about Halo App, or there's many we'll, we'll get into, but one of them is there's no whiz-bangy feature, right? There's no like dancing, ba-ba-bing, it's not a flashy thing. You, to, to love it, you got to get into it and you got to appreciate what I might call the nuance of it, the, the true value of it. But it's not, it's not like some of these other platforms that have exploded where you get on them and there's some whiz-bangy thing and it immediately gets people frothed up. Right. So I think that's part of the same, same similar, you know, set of things that we care about, right? So we, we, we want to build something which uh, is deeper than just a flashy feature, right? Um, something that users love to use multiple times a day. It solves... Uh, a need for them um, and it is not about a moment that they um, experience when they start using it right so it's, it's much more about the the long lasting impact they have on their lives and how they how they stay in touch with their friends what it does for them uh, rather than giving them something which you know creates this you know one time or a few times feeling for them and then goes away and you get bored of it Right. So um, 
I think simple products have a beauty of like uh, doing the job really well, almost to a point that they disappear, right? In your from your life, they don't call for attention, they don't do anything silly, and and that's where I think those those products last forever with the users. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. We had uh, John Rossman on a while ago, and he was the guy that created the marketplace business at Amazon. And he's written a couple books about his experiences at Amazon, the Amazon way and so forth. And one of the things that we talked about that I'm curious to get your reaction on is if you think about the UX of Amazon.com itself, it really hasn't changed very much over time. And, and I, I mean this with love as a very happy user and as a, a huge admirer, it's sort of ugly. It's very functional. The search is great and it's very practical and we've all gotten very used to it. But it's not, um, it's not winning any design awards. And to your point, Raj, like, um, it really hasn't changed. They've kept it simple and to some degree, uh, at least a little ugly. And they haven't kind of fucked around with it. Definitely. I, th- I think it's similar to what WhatsApp was or is, right? It's, it's always function over form, right? You can create the most beautiful product that nobody uses, but would you want that? Or you you want to use you want to build the most functional product, something that works all the time. People understand it. It's simple. Gets shit done. You can rely on it, and it might not look the sexiest thing that you've seen, but it works all the time, and it works beautifully, right? So, so I would rather build that product than build something which nobody wants to use but looks amazing. You said always function over form. Again, that's 180 from a lot of the things that we hear, particularly in Silicon Valley today. I mean, we're not trying to make it ugly. Like, so. <laughs> <laughs> we just, I didn't say it was ugly, Michael. <laughs> we just don't obsess over it. I think, I, I think our obsession is about the simplicity of it, the function of it, reliability of it, the speed of it. Things that you can't touch and see, like, but you can feel, right? When you when you use something which is you know is fast and and gets shit done, I think it's, it's it's it gets in your subconscious, right? You can't see it, you can't visualize it, you can't say, "Wow, this looks beautiful," but you say, "Wow, this shit works," right? All the time, I can rely on it, right? So so I think yeah, it's a different mindset, um, and we are definitely not trying to mirror what Silicon Valley is all about. Like, that's absolutely not what we want to do because that's not who we are as two people and something which we, I think, even at WhatsApp, we, were, we never followed anything that Valley had to say about things or products. You guys are so uh, counter all of the noise. It's fascinating. Now, I also have to ask you, I mean, you could argue created a new category at WhatsApp and at a minimum, redesign the category of messaging. And so, uh, you know, I have to ask you, how do you think about um, carving out your own category, designing your own category? And um, I'd be curious as well, the lessons from WhatsApp that you're applying to uh, Halo app vis-a-vis making this a giant standalone, super valuable category. Uh, yeah, I think we, the back, the backdrop of this, the backdrop of Hello App has a lot of inspiration from WhatsApp, uh, and and we both spent like, I spent seven years 
there and Michael spent eight years there. So we, we've completely like, we were ingrained and our, we, we lived that life day in and day out uh, for many, many years. And we saw why I think if you follow some of those principles, you can create products that people love and the products last forever, right? Uh, and we can go into some of those values that we are carrying it to this new thing that we are building. Um, but yes, the the a lot of inspiration from uh, simplicity and functional nature of things, and um, keeping teams small and lean, and um, not talking about yourself and not doing any press. There's, there's just a lot of these things that we are carrying forward to the to Hello App as well. But end of the day, it also comes from a real problem that we we face today, right? And we that's how it, it got started because we didn't have a product that we felt we could, you know, share our lives on with people who care, we care the most about, right? The real relationships that we have in our life that we have had for a very long time and we continue to have, um, none of the products that are out there are built for those, right? They're built for everything else. There's so much noise. There is, you know, brands and celebrities and ads and games and gimmicks and every, every everything else except the focus on on your real friends and relationships that you have, right? So that's that that was the genesis of how it got started. And we took we're taking a lot of principles of simplicity and functional um, way of doing things from from WhatsApp. I mean, I, I tend to think about it more at a technical layer, but um, you know, we're we're using a very similar you know technical architecture. Um, it's it basically it lends itself well to uh, adding encryption, which maybe is beyond the scope of what we want to talk about today. But it's not. Uh, the encryption, no, we can talk yeah, about okay. it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the I mean the encryption like you have to. I mean, just getting back to your theme of being sort of against the the norms these days is. Most people are saying, let's, you know, do cloud hosting. You store everything in the cloud for a long time. Like we'll hold all the data, which has some user benefits, right? You can switch devices. You can move from laptop to mobile and all your data is still there. But the problem is that means your service provider has access to all your data. And so we're looking at a model where it's it's all stored on on the endpoints, which is the, the device, so the, the mobile phone. And because it's all stored on the mobile phone, we don't even need to have an unencrypted copy on our server. So we're, we're aiming towards a world where everything on this platform is encrypted. Um, which is again taken, you know, WhatsApp sort of established this at a very large scale, um, and I think you know still, I mean, WhatsApp has got to be one of the largest platforms there is today, um, definitely the largest encrypted one. So, um, and we want to have the same concept for this Hello App platform. That is that everything is, you know, it's not we're not the ones filtering things, deciding who you should talk to, deciding what opinions you get to see. Uh, you know, that's, you know, you get to see what your friends are saying, right? That's, it's just, th those are your friends. So. so maybe let's talk about this uh, privacy issue then. You know, one of the things when I explain Hallow app to my friends and family and I say, well, they don't mine the data, they don't monetize the data and Hallow app, actually, we don't even have the data. They're like, what do you mean they don't have the data <laughs> is a question I hear a lot. So explain maybe a little bit more, Michael, about this philosophy and, 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 and therefore the architecture of the product. Yeah. I mean, the philosophy is that if we can't access the data, we can't, you know, do these sort of filtering, these types of filtering changes to the product to decide that, oh, you should see certain things on certain parts of the political spectrum that 
maybe you like or don't like, right? So we're 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 not trying getting into the world of deciding what you should or should not see, right? That's you can decide that. We've given you privacy controls in the app. You can say I don't want to, you know, this person is sharing things I don't like, and you can block them. You can when you post things, you can decide not to share it with certain people if they're just going to atta- antagonize you. Yeah, and and this notion, like uh, people are surprised when I say, well, they don't have your data. They're like, well, how can the app work if they don't have my data? <laughs> so, I mean, there's a distinction there that people make. So, and then encryption is where there's different levels of encryption that people have heard of. The most common one, like people maybe remember locks in the browser. I think their browsers are getting away from showing that anymore, but you used to see lock in the browser, which tells you that you're connected to a site and that's secure. That's a type of encryption, but it's not, it's not really end-to-end encryption. It's called transport encryption. It's just it just means the people moving the data from your computer to that service provider, like Amazon, like none of the people in between, like your like your ISP, like Comcast, can't can't see what you're doing on Amazon. They know you're talking to Amazon, they don't know what you're doing. End to end encryption is where now we're talking about it, Amazon's not the right example, but it's, it's now when you're talking about people talking to each other through a platform. Um, again, the platform can see that you're talking to a person, but you set up the keys using the, um, advanced mechanisms. I'd say, I'd say advanced. I mean, they were developed in the late 70s, but um, they're using these algorithms that were, that were developed in the late 70s and have sort of been put together finally through the Signal protocol. And it allows people to communicate without the intermediary servers knowing what you're talking about. Um, just to just to add to the other, other part of the whole privacy story is that you also don't want to know who anything about you, right? Except your phone number. We don't want to know who you are, where you live, what school you went to, what... Do you work on what your interests are? Absolutely nothing. Like what your real name is. Yeah, like we we for us that is none of that thing is useful, right? Because we are not in the uh, our job is not to you know mine all that data and serve you ads, right? So so since we don't want it, we don't collect it. We don't have it, right? You don't have to disclose anything to us. You just give us your your phone number. We we you know authenticate you. We see who else of your phone numbers in your address book are using the product and we, you're connected. And after that, what you talk to them about, what you share is none of our business. We should not be in the way of controlling it or changing it or, uh, you know, trying to show you stuff that we, you don't want to see or, or your friends are sharing with you. It's, it's absolutely between you and your friends uh, on the platform. So maybe let's go to a sort of a two-part question. You know, the first part is you guys, of course, did insanely well at WhatsApp and uh, have no financial need to work again in your lives. And so and here you are working insane hours. And this thing is, uh, you know, a a lot of what your life is about now, other than your family and close friends. Um, And so what is it that would motivate two guys who were a big part of creating one of the biggest successes in tech history, who have no financial requirement to work anymore to say, Hey, I want to, I want to do, I want to build another company. I think for me, the, the, the most important thing was that I wanted to work on solving something which didn't exist. And for myself and for my friends and for my family, for my kids, something that is responsible, that is, you know, last forever, hopefully, is is built around around the users being the focus of everything, right? I had the issue of like I I know where to share. Like I I've been a user of other platforms, but after after some time I stopped and I almost was disgusted. Like I I, I can't use these platforms because 
I don't like some of these, some of the things they build around, right? So uh, either we wait for somebody else to build it or we go build it ourselves. So, so we chose the way of like, let's just go change the status quo. Like these things, we are sitting in 2021 and we don't have a platform in the world which is not built around the user. So, so user is your customer, right? That that concept of like, I don't want to have advertisers. I don't want to show users all the ads or or do all these gimmicks to get them back all the time. And they're playing games and they're looking at stuff they don't want to look at. Like the world has changed. Like people are used to paying for Netflix and Spotify and you know all the other things they want to pay for um, and they care about. Why would they not have a product which lets them stay in touch with their friends and family and and just pay for it. And why do the, why do why do we still have to give up all our data to somebody and let them do whatever? I don't even know what they do with it, where it sits, how they use it, and that's the only way I can use that product. Right? To me, that is insane. Like so for me, that was the the driving force of like, let's if if nobody else is doing it, I we are gonna go build it. No, I mean, I've just used the major platforms less and less, and I've just appreciated that I can have a place to see my my family's, you know, things from my you know, my parents post things once in a while. And it's like, it's great to see that. Like, they don't post on any of the major platforms. Um, even, you know, I feel hesitant to post something on Facebook now. So I'm just like, I don't know what kind of reaction I'm going to get, especially when it's like mixed in with all this like very high po- highly polished content. So I really wanted a place where um, I can publish something that's just, you know, an honest, unfiltered version of what I'm doing. Well, and it's interesting when I see your behavior on HalloApp, it's, and I look at the behavior broadly on HalloApp, it's very, very different than it is on a traditional social app because it, it is not filtered. Um, and, and I don't know, maybe this sounds corny, but there's a level of authenticity when you show, you know, you're getting all excited about the fruit growing or, you know, or you're posting photos of your kids and cool things that you're doing and all that. Uh, I think there's a hesitancy f- for a lot of us with the major social platforms of, you know, if we post this stuff, like it's out in the world, you can't unring that bell. Uh, and so I think for some people, um, it, it holds us back in terms of authentically sharing uh, deep components of our life because we know we're being monetized. We know we're being watched. Yeah, I think and that that's part of the problem, right? That all the other platforms have driven this behavior where it's all about who has the most number of followers or friends or whose pictures and videos get the most number of likes and whose life is so the coolest and like, it's just that's become the focus, right? Nobody's trying to be themselves, and and obviously, if, if all of your friends are posting glitzy pictures of them, you know, somewhere cool, even if I want to share something which is honest and authentic, I I wouldn't want to because my post is going to stand out, right? So we, we are the opposite of it, where we just want to connect you with people who you really care about, so you can be yourself. Nothing comes in your way. None of the filters, masks. You don't have to do anything. Like you just express the, yourself the way you are, right? When I come and see my friends, I come and see you. I'm. I don't have a filter on, right? So I want. I. I want to mirror that. Like I want to be like that when I'm on Hello with my friends and family. I. I can post anything. I'm. I'm. I don't have to think like f- five minutes before I post anything, right? So, 
uh, is the simplicity and the authenticity of it, right? And every other platform has driven the opposite, and it's become really extreme. Uh, maybe because of the ads that uh, business that they they have, that the more views they have, and I don't know what the reason is, but uh, for us, authenticity is is big part of why we are building Hello App. Another big part of it for me is I I don't even know who most of my Facebook friends are. So there's this all this junk in my feed. I, I don't know how the junk gets into my feed. And I sort of don't know who a lot of these fucking people are who show up in there. It's, and so it begins to be ridiculous over time. It's like, well, why am I coming back to this thing? Yeah, I have a I have a I have a friend of mine who once said my my feed is full of shit. <laughs> the problem is my feed is full of shit. We don't who said that, Michael? <laughs> I think I said that in one of our earlier conversations. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we were trying to figure out what, what problem do we solve? And Michael says, well, my feed is full of shit. <laughs> and so there's another element of this. And, and if you guys don't want to talk about this, feel free to kick me under the table. But I remember when we first talked, um, I got the sense. And again, I don't want to put words in your mouths, but I got the sense that you felt like somewhere along the line, messaging, social media, these new kinds of, if you want to broadly call them communication platforms, had sort of gone off the rails a little bit, that this had gone wrong, and that part of why you wanted to do Halo App was to essentially right a wrong. Those are my words, but I'm curious, you know, how you feel about that, having created WhatsApp, having sold WhatsApp to Facebook, you know, how do you view Halo App in the context of what has come before? I mean, when I was at WhatsApp, I used to, we used to think about, at least my personal opinion was that I didn't want WhatsApp to turn into another email. I mean, I think if if you're old enough to remember when email first became dominant, which is not not that many people anymore, um, <laughs> like when email first came out, it was like, this excite, people were excited. It's like, oh, I can email my friends. I can talk to people around the world. It's very fast. Um, and then like there was, because email is a distributed system, like there's no way to limit where the messages can come from. Spam started to take over. You started getting a lot more automated emails. You started getting like all the sorts of business and commercial communications. Um, and suddenly now, I mean, now we are 2021, very few people use email for personal communication, right? Like you, if you go to your inbox, it's just a bunch of, you know, corporate updates. It's a bunch of like bills. It's, you know, ePay and like all these other things. You are not excited to open your email, right? And so WhatsApp, I was like, I don't want WhatsApp to get to this point where people are just like, okay, like they're very, there's this very high, uh, you know, People love WhatsApp. They have a great, strong affinity for the brand. They're like they open the app, they're excited to get messages from people they know. Um, and I think WhatsApp is heading down this path where they're they're adding more businesses to the platform now, and it's going to go the same direction as, as email, where it's going to suddenly be I open WhatsApp and I'm just going to get billing updates and air, you know all these automated things, and I'm no longer getting real communications. And so, what I'm excited about is that we're building something that's it's we're going to stick to personal communications between people. Um, so it's not, it's going to feel like I'm, I'm here to talk to people I know. And like, when I open the app, I'll be excited to get updates from people I know. It's not going to be these automated systems sending me 10,000 emails a day. Right. So like that, that's really what drives your internal, like, just like, wow, this is what I want This is why I'm alive. This is why I like talking to people. So. Yes. And one of the other things I find fascinating is, you know, this whole idea of real relationships and that you anchored the app to you and I have to have each other's phone numbers or we can't connect on Halo app. And so maybe dig in for me. Why the, what's the, why is the phone number, the magic, the magic thing here? 
I think it's more than magic. I think it's simple, right? Everybody has a phone number. At least everybody I know who I care about has a phone number. Hey, you want to know something crazy? <laughs> so uh, uh, we recently did an episode with Marty Cooper, the inventor of the cell phone. He's in his 90s today. He's an incredible guy. He was the lead engineer at, at Motorola that created the cell phone. He told me a factoid that I ha- did not know. He said there are more cell phones on the planet than there are toothbrushes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did not know that. Tell me. <laughs> the, I, think, I think Jan used to talk about that back in the days before he started WhatsApp. Or at the time he started WhatsApp, he was like, there are more SMS text messages sent in the world than there are Google searches in the world. So... So there, there, there's some magic to it and the simplicity to it. Like there, there's this nine or 10 digit number that you own that you remember. It's your own, right? And it's your identity and you only share it with people who you care about, right? And then you have in your address book on your phone, people who you really care about, right? So it's a very mutual, simple, easy to remember thing. There's no complexity of passwords and usernames and exchanging each other's, you know, um, friend requests and whatnot, right? So, so I think that for us, that to us was the simplicity of it was really important. Like we are building a simple product, so it has to have a very simple foundation, and that's why phone numbers are are, are the starting foundation of how we connect you with people who you care about. And if you have each other's phone number, we we think you care about each other, right? You start from there, and then you can curate your set of people who you want to share your life with. Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of friction in sharing phone numbers, right? You both have to share. So it's it's not like you don't just click like, hey, can, you know, I want to be friends with you. And then the other person says yes, right? It's like you you each have to intentionally add the other person's phone number to your address book. So both parties have to be doing this, which you know, for people you know, that's easy, right? It's like I already... But it's a hurdle. It's a hurdle, sense. yeah. It's, it's an intentional hurdle. Which is the beauty of it, right? Because it means that you really care about that person that you took that effort to share, to not only share your number with them, but also store their number. But Niraj, you're putting a barrier to viral growth by doing that. Again, I think it's something which makes the foundation stronger. It might not grow crazy, but, you know, I've taken the effort of, you know, storing my people who who are important to me in my address book and vice versa. And that's where I think the bond is strong. And, you know, there's also this pressure you don't have to face like if you get a friend request from somebody on LinkedIn or any other platform and they're like oh should I accept it I've met him once somewhere I don't remember where maybe I know this person maybe should I say yes or no like you don't have that pressure of like it's just magical that you have each other's numbers and you're connected right yeah I mean on on LinkedIn for example I I, I just view LinkedIn as a website so I don't don't give a shit who sends me a friend request on LinkedIn it's like yeah, yeah 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 and so like I don't know the vast majority of my quote unquote LinkedIn network. I'm a little more discerning on Facebook, but not much more because it, it has become, there is no privacy and there is no control over the shit in the feed. And so if like the reality is they've taught us that it is no different than a website in that context. So fuck it. At least that's been, that's been my attitude, but that, that then decreases the level of authenticity, the level of real things you're going to share in your life. You're not going to talk about things that are, you know, deeply personal in general. I mean, some people will, but, um, and so again, you guys, everywhere I turn, you guys are doing kind of the opposite of what a lot has, that has been taught about building successful network digital businesses. I don't think it's trying to be different or anything. I think it just want to be, 
ourselves and what I think we care about. So the goal is not to look outside and see what worked and let's do something else or it didn't work, let's do something else. Um, I think we just want to do things the way we think we will enable us to build an amazing product for, for, for a lot of users in the world. Now, how do you think about, you know, one of the things I hear from entrepreneurs all the time when they're particularly trying to create something new. And, you know, if I think of Halo app, it's sort of a messaging app and it's sort of a social app and it's, but it's really a new thing, right? It, 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 and I'm biased because of course I've fallen in love with the vision and you guys and all that stuff. But it, it, to me, it is absolutely a new category, but as a result, there is zero demand. It is a zero billion dollar market opportunity, right? And and so one of the things I hear from entrepreneurs all the time is, well, hey, there's demand for this or there's demand for that. or And now you're telling me, Lockhead, I should go create a category. There's no fucking demand. And so there's literally no demand for a quote unquote real relationship app. And so how do you think about um, sort of creating a product that is not like anything anybody else has truly experienced before, therefore a new category, and therefore there's no demand. And you're not really doing anything that remotely looks like traditional marketing. And so <laughs> how do you think about sort of all of this stuff when you're creating something new and you're not doing any traditional marketing with it? I think most most new products start like that. I, I think like things that change the status quo start like that. They have People don't know they need them or they're so good. Um, I mean, there are many, many examples of that, that in tech. iPhone is a big, the biggest one, probably. Everybody was very happy with the Blackberries and Nokia phones and nobody imagined that you can touch the screen and do a lot of things. So, uh, electric cars is another of those examples that people thought they would never want or they don't, but, but there's no need for that. There's no demand. Right. Um, but I think it, if you change the status quo, it, it, it does a lot of things, right? It teaches people a lot of new things that they haven't thought about. And so you might not get that, like millions of people running to you day one, but when they actually experience it, what they end up doing is they actually go tell their friends that, okay, I, I, I really dig this thing and this is why I love it. And I want you to be on it, right? So that's always the best way to create demand, right? You don't have, you don't want to have the demand day one. You, you can actually create the demand over the years that you build the product. And then you take your user along with it, right? Because a lot of things start like how the first iPhone started versus what it is right, right now is completely different, right? So over the years, it, it, it's, a, it's a long process, right? You start with a simple thing and you figure out what your users like and why, why do they trust, you know, you and your product. And then you keep building from there. And you add new things and you keep on giving them more. And over the years, you know, you can do a lot more than, and you can get a lot more users because now you have um, a lot of different things you, you end up fulfilling with, with your product. Where does this view on the long term come from? Because we continuously hear about get big fast and raise all this money and how fast you can become a unicorn and all this sort of stuff. And, None of that comes out of your mouth. I mean, everything is taking a long-term perspective. Yeah, I think uh, if you have to create a change, it takes time. There's no shortcuts to it. Um, and if you take shortcuts, 
it's most likely not the change you want or, or, or don't have the impact that you want, right? So the day we started Hello App, we knew that it's going to be a grind. It's going to take a while and we are ready for it. I think I don't see a product in the world that exists today, which people still love over the years and was created overnight or, or in a matter of months. It, it takes a lot of sweat and blood and patience and everything that you have, basically. You, you have to create an amazing team. We have a small 12% team. That is awesome. Um, and I think everybody is giving everything they have to to create something which we all believe in. There is no shortcut to building anything impactful in life for me. Hmm. And so how do you think about uh, building teams? I mean, you've got 12 people, which is a small team. Uh, you've raised a whole bunch of money. You could hire way more than that if you wanted to. And so, uh, and the other thing is we, we're at a point, particularly here in Silicon Valley, where for all practical purposes for the kinds of folks you'd be hiring, whether it be engineers or product marketers or what have you, we're at essentially zero unemployment for the kinds of people that certainly um, Hallow App would want. And so how do you think about sort of building, recruiting and scaling a team, given that you've kept the company so small and, and you could have hired way more than that? I think smaller teams are able to execute better. I mean, especially because we, I mean, to your earlier question, I think we just fundamentally believe in the mechanisms we're using to create this platform, which is, you know, the, the exchange of phone numbers and creating a little bit of friction to get good connections. So I think with the smaller teams, we're able to, everyone that we've hired knows that coming in. They know that that's the mechanisms we're using. Uh, and so I think everyone's sort of aligned in, in what we're building against, which is this phone number-based connections. Um, and it's just much easier to manage a small team. Like you don't have to, you know, it, it, it's, you know, the difference between like a large ship and a, you know, a little sailboat, right? Like you, know, like you can change the sailboat direction. Like we're not changing direction every day, but it's just getting everyone to know what you're doing is very easy because it's just like we're all in the same room. You know, I can, I can address everyone in like, you know, 30 seconds and suddenly everyone knows what we're doing. What, what's, what's the next feature we're building, right? So like it's that. not hard to have an all hands meeting. No. Well, it was a little hard during coronavirus, but it's, it's easier now. So, <laughs> <laughs> Also, I think I, I deeply believe in the value of scarcity in your life, right? It pushes you to do things that otherwise you wouldn't do if you have abundance of something, right? If, if, if everything is easy and there are a lot of people to do things, a lot of capital, you wouldn't push yourself as much if you think, if, if you create that scarcity. I think, and the biggest result of scarcity I have seen is, is focus, right? If, if, if you only have like 10 engineers, you would only want to focus on a few things, right? I wouldn't want to build 20,000 features because I don't have the team to do it. And so, so, by keeping the team small, you end up backing a few things that you really want to focus on. And you always want to do them really well, right? Again, going back to the earlier conversation, like I, I wouldn't want to do like 100 things in the product and none of them work really well. Like, and, and the user is also confused. Like, what do they want us to do here, right? Versus if I just do three to five things and I execute them really well and we build a really beautiful UX and something that is functional and works all the time, that, that's the best thing you can do, right? So having that small team also helps with that focus, I think. Uh, we had this saying at WhatsApp that 
um, focus is the new F word, I think, or something like that. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of F words, having partners can often create a lot of F words between the partners. <laughs> and I've now gotten to know the two of you, you know, reasonably well over a reasonable amount of time now. And it strikes me that the two of you have um, an unusual partnership. And so I'd be curious if you wouldn't mind sort of uh, elucidating a little bit on, on your relationship and, and how, how it is for you and why you think it works. I mean, having the shared background helps tremendously, right? So I think we, we having come from the same culture at WhatsApp, uh, you know, we know, we're, you know, we want to build a similar kind of culture at Hello App. So that's like the... Um, I think that's been especially useful when we decide what we want to do next, how big the team's going to be, how we're going to do marketing, how we're going to do all these things. It's it's not like it's a greenfield decision. It's like, well, we kind of have a general framework of how we want to do it. And so I think that's made it much smoother. So do you have sort of like a, uh, a special language between you in that sense? <laughs> yes, it's called silence. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's the other thing I sort of am curious about. You're both introverts. <laughs> and uh, as an extrovert, my experience of being with you is like, okay, guys, uh, maybe a little more on that one. Uh, okay, guys, come on. And, and you're, you're friendly introverts, so I don't feel like I'm dragging shit out of you when we have discussions. But at the same time, um, yeah, I guess my question is, you're both introverts, so you could sit there and not talk to each other for a very long time. <laughs> How's that going to work? I think so. So I think the bond that we have is also like we understand each other really well. Like Michael knows how I work and think, and I know how he works and thinks. So I think that's you don't have to talk about a lot of things and debate a lot of things, right? So, because you already know like how the other person is going to think, right? So, uh, most of the time we are all, all already like aligned, like we don't even have to talk about some of the things that we want to do, right? So, so that makes it really easy. Uh, it, it comes very naturally to both of us and having spent like seven plus years in the same office or same offices over the years, I think it just gotten easy to to start this thing together. And how do you handle disagreements? Yeah, we haven't had any major disagreements. I mean, I think the... Yeah, I don't think we have fought with each other yet. Maybe we will at some point, but yeah, I think we, we, we push each other, like we question. I think that's that's the thing we, which we, and everybody in the company, we, we, we that's how we build the company, right? So you're allowed to ask anything, right? But in the end, I think we, we always know what we want to do, right? So a lot of healthy discussion, but we are not building a consensus-driven thing here. Like it's, it's, it's like we start with the user, we end with the user. So, so a lot of things get thrown away because of that. Right? If so that's the true north. Yeah, I think if you, if you build something that the user wants, nothing else matters, right? So all the other things you don't care about and you don't have time for, right? So, um. Yeah, I think so. So, so that, so that also keeps the drama to the minimum. I think, which is great, right? A lot of valley companies have a lot of drama, founders shit, and whatnot. I think, and we were very blessed and lucky with WhatsApp that Jan and Brian never had any drama, right? So it was like there was there was no stories being written in any of the tabloids about them and. Oh, that kind of drama. Yeah, all that kind of founder shit. I remember that they had huge fights about like whether keyboard shortcuts mattered in Gmail. It was just like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, so the things are more technical, <laughs> yeah. right? The, the 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 discussions that happen are more on like 
the technical things on how do you do something and uh, what makes sense versus not. Yeah, there was just a big article, I don't know if you saw it, in the New York Times about Zuckerberg and Sandberg's relationship sort of blowing up over time. And it was like a huge article and it was like, it, it, I, I didn't get through all of it because I lost interest, but it, it was very much like reading the script to, I don't know, General Hospital or The Guiding Light or some cheese ball uh, <laughs> soap opera. I was like, geez, fucking A. Yeah, I think a lot of Silicon Valley startups who have done who've become really big have a lot of founder drama, right? So it's just part and parcel of how they got built. Um, but I think for us, it's not about Michael or me. In the end, it's about what we're doing and what, what do our users want, right? So if you just pay attention to that, none of that other shit matters, right? So who the hell cares what, what Michael or I do in life, right? So it's just about building Hello App and serving our users. So there's something about that that's also interesting. I remember when we first met, sort of, uh, I think, Naraj, you and I might have talked about this a little bit in our first or second or maybe third discussion, but um, there is a, haha, there is a halo from WhatsApp on you and therefore on Halo app. And because of your background and what you've done, a, a lot of people want to kiss your ass. A lot of people want to kind of treat you like you're these whatever, super ding-dong, you know, Silicon Valley, mega whatevers, right? Um, and so how do you, after you've had the kind of massive success that you had at WhatsApp and people respect you and admire you, how do you make sure that people aren't just blowing sunshine up your ass, that you build a team, investors, advisors, of course, employees, um, and, and others that are around you that aren't just sort of uh, in awe of your, you know, past halo and, and sort of tell you the truth, so to speak, that there is an emperor's new clothes syndrome that happens for the two of you. I think the first thing I realized, uh, and I left WhatsApp before Michael did, uh, and I was just think goofing around for like 18 months, didn't do much, um, just spent time with my family and traveled that people forget about you really fast, which is a great thing, right? So none of that shit matters. I think when, when we started Hello App, the first thing we told ourselves was, none of that shit matters, right? Um, because we're starting fresh and new and um, you might have built or helped build something which a lot of people use, but how many users do you have right now? The answer is zero. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that shit matters, right? So, so if you remind that truth to yourself every day, you wake up in the morning and says, how many users do I have? Okay, very few. Okay, let's, let's get going. Right? <laughs> so, so the user number helps to humble you. Yes. I mean, part of it is, I think, when we talked about it being a grind, I was setting expectations that I think people... When you say, oh, we're X WhatsApp and we're building something new, it's like, oh, do you have a billion users? And I was like, well, no, it's going to take a long time. <laughs> so like, the, um, so I think part of that setting that expectation early on is that, hey, we're, we're starting from scratch here. We don't have the same platform that WhatsApp has. Like we're, we're building something new. So 
Now, also, I'm uh, fascinated by your offices, you know, having having visited, I mean, uh, really, what is that, uh, 16 floors that you've got with incredible views of the bay and uh, three or four different cafeterias and uh, masseuses and laundry services and uh, dog walking services. (laughs) (laughs) No, as a matter of fact, with all due respect and admiration, the office sort of has the mojo of a trucking company going bankrupt. <laughs> we, we did just move on Monday. Oh, okay. So maybe is a new office a little less uh, trucking company going out of business? A little less. A little less. It's still, yeah, it's got a much better light. Well, they both have good light, actually. It's like that. We are. And yeah, so we live at this, office, we, but we live at this time where, uh, and I know you guys had this experience where I'll go visit a startup in Silicon Valley and they won't, they'll be at plus or minus the same stage that Hallow apps at. And you walk in and it's a super incredible looking office and they've got this amazing cafeteria and they've got all these things and, and all these value added services. And the story that you get told by the founders is, Hey, the hiring environment in Silicon Valley is such that if we want to compete with Google or Facebook or these other places that, you know, the Facebook campus is a fucking Disneyland for adults in air quotes. And so we have to provide some of these things. And yet, um, uh, Hello app, not so much. <laughs> I think there's a very simple reason for that. Um, we don't want to, we don't want to, um, attract people who care about only about those things. Right. If you, if you, if you're building a very mission driven company, which we think we are, we want to attract people who actually only care about that mission and want to come work at Halloween for that and not for none of the other things that, you know, you just talked about. Right. So if, if you, if you, if you position your company as a place where you come to have fun and enjoy all the cool things they offer you, we don't want that, those kind of people, right? We want people who actually come here to want to change the world, right. And work for the mission. And that's why we don't have it. And not that, it's bad to have those things, but you know, we just want to focus on, on things that you come to work, you want to build amazing stuff and you go back happy that you made progress and then you have more users and then you can serve them better. Right. That's all you care about every day, day in and day out. None of the other shit matters. <laughs> so that there's not a movie theater that we go to on Thursday nights and <laughs> all that shit. So how would you, um, how would you both, how do you both think about this mission? I mean, it's, it comes through in your conversation, of course, but, uh, how do you think about this, this mission of, of a real relationship app, a real relationship network? I think to, to just to touch on two things, which I think we, we, we really, really, really care about are, are, are bringing together your real relationships in a real private way. Right. So those are the two things which just boils it down to the most important things that why we are building Hello App today. The people you care about and you bring them together in a way which is real private. That's it. It sounds very simple. It uh, is something which you can say, yeah, that exists, but I don't think it does. Right. If you peel the onion, None of those, none of the other things that you have have had over the years has the purity of this mission. I think over the years they've done things completely different, and they don't respect your privacy. And we talked about your 
friends not being your friends on a, on the other platform you don't even know who they are right so it's it's easier to talk about it but it's not as easy to to build something which is true to this mission right so, so and, and we we truly believe in it and that's the only thing only two things we care about and um how big do you think this thing gets i mean you guys uh have a history of building very big platforms so do you have a big hairy audacious goal in mind yeah i think numbers is not something which we really care about i think we care about quality a lot so if we stay true to our mission and we build a quality product that our users love i think the numbers will come that's how we think about it um so i've not put a numbers goal to it yeah we don't have a hard number goal i mean, i think you know as we're getting ready to you know make this very public i'd like to see like you know one or two countries start to adopt it in a in a wider scale not not globally and we're not going to see the whole world but like uh, like whatsapp did really well early on in the netherlands so i'm hoping that we have something similar with hello app where one country takes off and that'll help us establish a lot of the norms around how what, what feature sets we're going to build and that users like it and that it's working well so i think a lot of people back then and maybe even some today think that hello app, uh, that um whatsapp was a european country, company yeah yeah. That. yeah yeah we've heard that before yeah. in fact a lot of people think it's not a american company it's from somewhere else um, some people think it's asia something think it's latin americans <laughs> right so so i think that, that goes that, that's a very special thing that that people think is something of their own right and they don't think of it as something that somebody in the valley is building for them so and so will the people of iceland feel like hello app was created in iceland if they do i'll be very happy actually <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so the other thing i wanted to ask you guys about is we've all been through a radical amount of change since coronavirus hit um and uh how has the sort of how has that and everything that's come as a result of that changed how you think about building a company work from home headquartering in silicon valley you know all, all of those things that have been thrown into question uh since the onset of c19 uh, i think we've gotten a lot better at holding video conferences <laughs> like we you know right when con- right, right when coronavirus hit you know i think we had like six people in the company or five people in the company and we're like all right everything's closing what do we do next and it's like well we got to figure out some way for the whole company to meet. So we set up a all hands every Monday. And so now we've sort of established all these sort of online mechanisms to, for the company to stay together. Uh, but we've been back in the office since June 15th when California reopened and everything was relaxed here. In our office, we're requiring everyone to have vaccines. So just to be clear. So we've, um, and do they have to prove it? Do they have to show their card? Yes. So we, we have everyone show a card and that way everyone knows that we're all in the same, same playing field here. We've all had the vaccine, right? So there's no... If you don't want to get the vaccine or you don't want to provide the card, you can continue working from home. Um, but I, I'm not so aware. So if I think that Bill Gates has got a chip in the vaccine and that's why I'm not <laughs> taking it, I can still be one of your engineers. I just need to stay the fuck home. <laughs> yes, exactly. But I'm not aware of any objectors in our company. So I have to go back and check. But I'm, I'm not aware of anyone objecting to the vaccine. So, so generally believers in science. <laughs> um, so we've gotten better at the video, video calls. Um, I think we still want to have an in-person office or we're not going like the full remote route that I think some companies are going. Um, I think the in-person interactions really help 
understanding what we're building, understanding that, you know, this is, it's just different. Like you can't have, I mean, I, I see these debates online and I know it's, it's, it's very contentious. So this, this may be the most contentious part of what we talk about today, which is I think in-person offices tend to work better. Like you're able to like convey your vision to people. Um, you're able to just work faster and get things done. Um, which is not to say you can't do things in a remote environment. I mean, clearly we did it for the last 14 months, um, but it just feels much better in person. I mean, now that we've been back for about a month, I think everyone on our team is just like, wow, this is so much nicer. We can go to lunch together. We can have relaxed, casual conversations. Not everything is like this scheduled thing to talk about this specific point. And then in 15 minutes when we're done, we end the call and like there's nothing else to talk about. So I think there's just this casualness that you get from an in-person office that you don't get from a virtual office. And if I if I was an employee at Halo App when I said, hey guys, I really only want to come in two days a week. Is, is that okay? Or, or what would you say to me? We don't have strict policies yet. We're still figuring that out. Um, so our whole team is not back. We have, you know, some team members moved out of the area and they're, you know, they're, we're not, they're still with us. So we're not, not getting rid of them. So if they move to Wyoming or whatever, that's, that's yeah, fine. Yeah. But we're, we're recentering the, the culture back around the office again. So it, it's going to be more of an office focused culture going forward. So. And I think maybe it's different for startups, right? You're yeah. a 12 person company. If you were a 500 person company, this, the culture was very clear and all that. It, might be different, right? Yeah, I think personally for me, work from home is the worst thing actually ever. When you're building something from the from scratch, it's just it just doesn't work. I think we somehow made it work for the last many months, but uh, as Michael said, everything is so transactional. Everything is a video call. Everything is like it just it just doesn't work. I think the human element gets lost in that whole thing and being in the same space and building things and talking to each other is the energy that you have that we have in the office now that like more than half of us are back. It's just amazing, right? Uh, the progress that we are making every day is just amazing, right? So you feel a change since oh, people yes. have been coming back in terms of what your, your creativity and innovation at work? Absolutely. That's what I'm saying. Like, I think work, work from home is the enemy of creativity, I think. Wow, that's a huge statement. Yeah. Now you do realize you're a native analog and maybe native digitals might feel differently. <laughs> I mean, we we are all in front of our laptops and phones even when we're in the office, but at least physically around each other, I think is it 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 allows us for to do those interactions that where where the creativity comes out. Yes. Also, I think getting to know, know each other beyond being just colleagues, right? That 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 element of being in a same team especially when you're such a small team going after such a big space, I think it's very important. I think that gives you the drive. Like if you're sitting in your bedroom the whole day and coding versus if you are with a bunch of like-minded people who are going after this big thing, it's a completely different ball game. Mm -hmm. I think it, it energizes you being with each other every day. Even as introverts, you feel that. Oh yeah, for sure. Oh, absolutely. We're all introverts, so we hang out pretty well. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> the office is not very noisy. I noticed that too. Like I show up and it's like, wow, somebody's here. <laughs> I think maybe I'm only allowed to visit once a quarter or something because it's too much, too much for <laughs> too much electricity in the room. I mean, we don't, the one thing, I mean, you, you mentioned earlier, we had 12 employees. We also have this year, we have eight interns. We have a huge ratio of interns to full-time employees. Um, and I think five of them are in the office. Five, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's just been nice to have them in the office, just to have a, a, you know, a fresh set of people in the office to explain what we're doing and have them understand what we're building. 
Um, and it's just very nice to have them versus last year we had five interns, but they were last summer was full remote. That was like right. peak, peak COVID, right? So uh, we were full remote setup back then. And so I just feel like I know the interns this year are much better than last year. Like so I just like seeing them in the office and just having lots of small interactions with them. And so like that. I think for, for interns or younger people in their career, I think it's probably super helpful to be in person, right? Because if you're in your early twenties or whatever it is, you don't have very much work experience, you know, you don't really, you haven't even learned how to be productive yet. And so being, you know, the monkeys like to look at what the other monkeys are doing, right? There's a reason we all like to like sit at a cafe and watch people go by, right? We like looking at each other <laughs> and seeing each other. I think for larger companies where the processes and cultures are set, it's, it's probably okay, right? Like, and they, a lot of them are just working on small incremental things anyway, right? It's not like they're changing the world. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting to see when you were finally going to throw an elbow at somebody. <laughs> Speaking of throwing elbows, is there anything that either one of you guys want to say about sort of um, the landscape and the players kind of in the broad uh, social media and messaging world? No, I think there's just fewer and fewer products I use every day. That's all I can say. There's nothing else. Yeah, we don't we don't have a polished answer to that one. So I like that. <laughs> That's okay. And it, it might be wise. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if you decide to throw any elbows uh, along the way. And I guess the other sort of obvious question, and we touched on it a little bit, is no advertising, no selling of data. And so the monetization model is eventually going to be subscriptions. I mean, today it's free, but at some point you're going to turn on a, a meter. And so what level of certainty, if any, do you have that in, you tell me, however long it'll be between now and whenever you turn the the cash register on, what level of certainty do you have that people are actually, I mean, you talked about paying for Spotify and various things and so forth, but will people really pay for this new category of app that, that, that is Halo app? I think if we do our job well, I think people will pay for it. We had a little bit of taste with it at WhatsApp, which was not a lot of people know that it, it used to be a paid app back in the days on the iPhone. It was a dollar lifetime and on Android it was uh, free for a year and then it was a dollar per year. So it was pretty nominal, um, especially if you think about 2010 and 11, a dollar was like, and and that model, it was completely, it, it was super early for its days. Uh, but if you build a product that people want and trust, I think they, they don't mind paying for it. Uh, and you have to keep the pricing in a way that it doesn't deter anybody from coming and using the product, right? So, so we might do something where the base version is free for everyone to come and experience the product. And then we add a premium set of features and we have a paid version versus a free version. So, so keep it really simple, keep it inexpensive and affordable. I think, especially for a social product where, you know, the value of it is that, I want everybody to all all the people who I care about should have access to the product, right? 
So I don't want to make it an exclusive thing. We don't. We shouldn't be building something that people say that, oh, I can't use it because it's it's a paid product, right? So, in principle, everybody should be able to use Hello App for free if they want to, and then there will be a a version of it which will do a lot more for you, and then you pay for it. It's as simple as that. And the interesting thing, Michael, if we go back to the privacy and encryption discussion. Anybody who's afraid that, well, okay, this is the path they're on, but sooner or later they're going to want more and more and more and more revenue. And so they'll have to monetize us and they'll have to sell advertising. But in reality, by doing what you're doing with the data, you don't have the data. So if if the two of you woke up in five years from now and thought, oh, shit, to to make this quarter's numbers, we got to start selling everybody's data. Um you've kind of put yourself in a box in that regard. Is that right? Yeah, that's very, very true. I mean, users would know we'd have to turn on, you know, if, if we ended up in that position, we'd have to turn off encryption and that would be very apparent to users. So we do have no intention of going that, that route. I mean, the nice thing about having users pay for a product is just that you're very aligned in terms of what you're delivering and what you're building, right? It's just, you're building things for users who are paying you for it, right? So you don't care whether they use it once a month or every day, or it's like, okay, if, if you're getting value from using it once a month, great. Like, we're not going to like force you to use it even more just because. So like that. Yeah. Now the other thing, and again, kick me under the table. Another unusual thing about Halo app is how you finance the company and how you think about raising money and how you think about investors and the fact that you're not publicly disclosing who your investors are uh, or how much you've raised, or you, you don't want the headline in TechCrunch that says "Hello App just raised blah blah blah" from yada yada, or any any of those things. And so, how do you think about capitalizing the business? And 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 um, I think I think I have a clear understanding of how you think about the PR around around that shit. I think capital is important. I think if you have to start an idea and and back it. Um, for a while till it starts making money and and becomes you know break even so so you need that money in the beginning to to sustain and i think the if you if you you're always long term thinking right so you want to turn on the revenue model at, at some point in time uh you need the capital right so so i think for us capital is that it's just a tool to get there that helps us get there where we become self-sustaining and and break even and profitable eventually but we don't want capital to serve any any other thing for us like getting headlines and creating hype or anything else so so it's it's pretty much like that like equity is the most expensive thing you can sell like and so so you have to be careful about it and and we want to make sure that we just want to use raise as much capital as you want just just want to make make sure to get to some sort of self sustainability and after that you're on your own well gentlemen clearly i could talk to you forever we've had many many long conversations um but i know that you have a uh new category to build and a lot of uh legendary things to do to the product and satisfy users and the like um is there anything else you want to touch on before we wrap? No, I think uh, I think we covered a lot of ground. I think this is more talking than yeah. we have done in a a very long time. So, 
Yeah. Especially on the record. Yeah. It's pretty amazing, actually, that you guys have talked this long. I feel very honored. And we have left our team who is back in the office. So we have to get back to them and uh, get back to working, I think. So, well, Thank you, boys. And I'm deeply honored that you decided to do your first podcast with me for both of you. It's a, it's very, very cool. So thank you. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Well, there they are, Michael Donahue and Niraj Aurora. And the company is launching right now as we speak. And if you want to check them out, you can check them out at halloapp.com, H-A-L-L-O-A-P-P.com. And um, if you enjoyed this conversation, please make sure you are subscribed to this podcast because coming up next is a stunner with Gary Kasparov, who is literally the greatest chess player of all time. And my buddy, longtime friend and colleague, Steve Pratt, who's the CEO of Noodle AI. And something really cool happened, which is um, Gary, amongst many things that he does today, uh, works with some leading edge tech companies. And so he's actually working with Steve. And so I got him to come on. And we have a fascinating conversation in Gary's perspective on technology, um, what it's like to, in his case, be beaten by technology, and where technology is going is fascinating. And he has some incredible things to say about Russia and Vladimir Putin and a lot more. So that's coming up next. Now, legendary companies identify and accelerate into new opportunities. But you can't hit the throttle unless you have a legendary engine. And that's where NetSuite by Oracle comes in. You see, NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system. Uh, NetSuite is a legendary accounting system and so much more, empowering your team to manage your business with precision, staying on top of sales, orders, inventory, supply chain, and more. Businesses running NetSuite report cost savings of 50% or more over the cost of running old legacy systems, on-premise systems, and things like QuickBooks. NetSuite eliminates costly upgrades, expensive infrastructure, and onerous maintenance because NetSuite was born and lives in the cloud. So visit netsuite.com today slash different for your free product, mas- <laughs> your free product massage. Yeah. <laughs> Your free product tour at netsuite.com slash different. Now, here's something interesting for you. From 2010 to 2020, the amount of data captured, copied, and consumed in the world increased from 1.2 trillion gigabytes to 59 trillion gigabytes. That's almost 5,000% growth. And... Uh, Analysts predict that the data that will be created over the next three or so years will be more than the data created over the last 30. Wrap your head around that. That's where my friends at Splunk come in, because Splunk is the leader in data to everything, bringing data to every question, every decision, and every action. Splunk is a reliable data platform for investigating, monitoring, analyzing, and acting on data. Visit splunke.com slash D, the number two, the letter E today to learn how to turn data into doing. That's splunk.com slash D to E. All right. We would like to thank one more time Naraj Aurora and Michael Donahue. Uh, for coming on with us uh, today. Thank you, boys. It was an absolute pleasure. You can check them out at halloapp.com. My friends at Atrenet, A-T-R-E dot N-E-T, have been building legendary B2B websites in Silicon Valley for over 20 years. Check them out today, atre.net. My friends at spiro.ai are the leaders in proactive relationship management 
to help close more sales. Visit Spiro.ai today. And if you're looking for a way to scale you to maybe get an assistant who is uh, always going to be physically distanced from you, check out my friends at bottleneck.online. They are the leaders in uh, distant assistance. My friends at onelifefullylive.org are the nonprofit helping you dream, plan, and live your best life. And they're making a huge difference today. So you might want to get involved and you might want to crack open your checkbook at onelifefullylive.org. And speaking of cracking open your uh, checkbook, um, the Drop-In Coalition here in Santa Cruz at dropincoalition.org is a unique field trip service for underserved kids here in the Santa Cruz area who want to experience the joy of science, technology, art, and math coupled with learning to surf. It's an extraordinary field trip uh, experience. And because donors like you support the Drop-In Coalition, none of the kids who participate in our programs have to pay for it. Visit dropincoalition.org today. All right, I need to remind you that this podcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network. All rights do remain perturbed. We must warn you that this podcast is created in a studio that does contain nuts. And as you probably heard, the creators, and in this case, guests of this podcast, were absolutely consuming libations. We are produced and edited by the GOAT, the greatest of all time, Jason DeFilippo. Check out his podcast, Grumpy Old Geeks. Technical Awesomeness and Lockhead.com by Sarah Knox and Jamie J. Show notes by GM Simon. Uh, Tom Waits reminds us, quote, fishing for a good time starts with throwing in your line. Don't forget to read Category Pirates. Check it out at Lockhead.com. Uh, thank you, Candy Dandy. I love you, Mom and Dad. And hey, Colin, this podcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go to Carson Sweet, CEO of Cloud Passage. Sorry, Carsey, we just ran out of time for you. That's it, my friends. Thank you for investing part of your life with me. Please stay healthy, stay legendary, and until we're together again, follow your different. <laughs>